Uh, I want you to take your Bibles, if you brought them, and turn to Genesis chapter 2, and then put a marker, I've got my marker here, at 1 Samuel 17. So if you open to Genesis 2, and then put a marker at 1 Samuel 17, this may be different from any Easter message you've ever heard. I'm not going to share the resurrection story. I'm going to actually share a truth with you in three words that sum up why Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And I hope you never forget the truth of these three words. The three words are God needs you. God needs you. Now, probably all of you here have done some sort of speaking for some group at some point in time. Maybe you've done a presentation at work, or you've taught a small group at church, or you uh, taught a class, or you had some sort of a, a, a talk you gave at something. Uh, what you do when, when you have this, if you've ever taken any time of class on how to speak publicly, or maybe you just did this on your own, your, your, your title is your, your topic. It's your theme. It's your subject of what you're sharing on. It, it's really your thesis that you're trying to prove uh, in your presentation. And then when you come up with points, each point is supposed to support your, your subject or your topic, your title. Now, the reason I'm making such a big deal of that is my, my title is God Needs You. Uh, my first point is, here's point number one, God doesn't need anything. As you see, I didn't do real well with that point. Okay, here's the reason I'm saying this. Uh, years ago, Debbie and I uh, were on a cruise. We were on vacation, and we were in Alaska, and we were on the boat just having a good time, sitting on the top deck, each reading a book, and I put my book down for a moment, and I looked at this vast wilderness of Alaska. If you've ever been there, it's been there, it's just miles and miles, you know? And um, I just had this thought. I just thought, God, you are huge. You, you are so big. And I just thought, you, you don't need anything, God. And just like that, I felt like the Lord said these three words to me, I need you. Now, I hate to tell you my response, but I'm going to, I begin to explain to God why that is not theologically correct. <laughs> for for first-year theology students probably know this, God is self-existent, He is self-sufficient, and He's self-sustaining. He does not need us to exist. He exists completely on His own. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, and self-sustaining. And I actually quoted him a scripture in case he had forgotten. <laughs> I said, Lord, Acts 17, 25 says, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. I said, Lord, the Bible says you don't need anything. You're, you're self-existent. You're self-sufficient. You're self-sustaining. You don't need anything. He said to me, I need you. And then he began to take me through the Bible and show me this truth in Scripture. And so I want to help you, you see that today. Um, and point number one, God doesn't need anything. I know he exists completely independent of us and on his own. 
But here's point number two. God decided to need you. He decided to need you. Let me say it another way. God doesn't need us to exist, but he decided to need us to coexist. And let me show you some examples in Scripture. The first one's Genesis 2. Very, very uh, simple example. But Genesis 2 verse 19 says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, we we read over the Bible. But if you look at that last statement, don't let that go by without seeing the truth of it. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Okay, that's why we have hippopotamus. Because Adam said, you look like a hippopotamus. That's why. Now, if you remember, Adam was naming the animals and he went to sleep. And if you remember, it says that as he named the animals, there was not found a companion for him. In other words, he's looking for a companion. Remember, he's created in the image of God and he has a desire and his desire is for a companion. And he's in the image of God. That ought to tell you something about God. And so he's naming the animals and he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, there is this new animal there. And he actually said, we have in the Bible, he actually said, whoa, man. Okay, that's, that's how she got her name if you don't know. But um, anyway, here's the point. He goes to sleep while he's naming the animals. So I'm thinking he's getting drowsy. And so I've been thinking about this. What, what's the last group of animals that he named because he was getting drowsy. And I think I know. I think it was the birds. The reason I say that is because some of the names of the birds uh, took a lot of creativity. The hawk, the falcon, the eagle, all great names. But there are some names of birds that did not take much creativity. And I think this is when he was getting drowsy. I think right toward the end, he's getting drowsy, his eyelids are getting heavy, he sees a few more birds he's got a name, and here are the names he came up with. I think he went like this, black bird. How much creativity did that take? And then he goes on, blue bird. Red bird, come on. And then I actually think I know the last animal that he named, it was a bird again, but I think he had actually closed his eyes and he heard something and he said, humming bird. Now, it's just my personal opinion, but why didn't God say to Adam, come here, come here, son, come here. Uh, okay, look over there. See, see that uh, animal? Big, great big animal. Long nose. Okay, that's an elephant. That's an elephant, okay? Uh, oh, see the one right there coming out of the trees with the tall neck? Okay, that's a giraffe. And then, oh, duck. 
Okay, see, that's, see why I called that one a duck, see? Okay. Why didn't God tell Adam the names of the animals? Why did God ask Adam to name the animals? Okay, here's my theory, that God decided to need Adam in the operation and the management of the earth. Let me say it another way. Uh, he decided to partner with us in the earth. Now, this is very, very important. The Lord began years ago to take me through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, showing me how he partners with us. And, and in essence, how he doesn't do anything on this earth if he can't have a partner. I want you to think about this. In Ezekiel, he says, I, I sought for one person, just one, that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that I would not have to pour my anger out. But I didn't find one. Therefore, I had to pour my anger out. But if I just had one person that would have agreed with me. Uh, uh, in Mark it, it, chapter 6, one of the most amazing scriptures, it says Jesus could not do a mighty work there because of their unbelief. Now, that's an amazing scripture. It doesn't say Jesus would not. It says he could not because they didn't believe. Is it possible that God has limited his unlimited power on this earth to our faith? Let me say that again. God has limited his unlimited power, but he has limited it on this earth to our faith, our partnership. So it's very possible that what you want to happen in your life right now, God has the power, but he's actually waiting on you to partner with him. It's very possible. Okay, so if this is true, and I believe it is, is it possible that our enemy, Satan, knows this? <laughs> and is it possible if he knows that God doesn't move unless we partner with him, is it possible he uses that against us? Okay, 1 Samuel 17, this is the story of David and Goliath, but maybe you'll see it a little differently today. Uh, this is Goliath speaking now, and we'll start in verse 8. Then he, that's Goliath, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Watch, watch this carefully. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel, the people of God, this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Okay, here's this giant over nine feet tall, about nine feet four inches tall, according to the Bible. Here he's standing there saying this to, to the people of God. Now, don't you think that God could have sent a lightning bolt and hit Goliath right in the middle of the head? Well, he could because he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent, omni meaning all, potent meaning power. He has all power. But is it possible that he couldn't because he's limiting himself to someone on earth partnering with him? 
And is it possible that Satan has set this whole thing up because he knows how God works? And he knows that if there's not one person in Israel that has the courage to stand up to his giant, he knows he's going to get to take all of Israel into bondage. So is it possible that there's this, this uh, conversation in heaven going on where uh, Satan is actually saying to God, I've got you now. I've got you. Because I know how you work. And, and you don't move unless someone agrees with you, unless someone steps out in faith. So I've, I've got you now. And I'm going to take all the people of Israel into bondage because there is not a man in all of Israel that has the courage to stand up to my man. I think God said something like this. I don't need a man. I've got a boy. Amen. Amen. I've got a boy that will. And I've been preparing him with a lion and a bear Amen. and a slingshot. And I, I've got this all taken care of. See, Satan can't see the future. He can see the horizon only. But God sees the future. I want you to know something. God already has a David prepared for your Goliath. Amen. Already. Amen. But it's possible that that David is you. <laughs> and he's been preparing you with some little battles for the big battle you're in right now. So God, he doesn't need anything really to exist. I understand that. But he decided to need us. So here's point number three. Have you decided to need God? Remember, you could take the words partner with and substitute them for the word need. God decided to partner with you. Have you decided to partner with God? Now, I have three uh, sub-points uh, under this point to help us understand that God has a part and we have a part. So, so let me tell you these. Here's the first sub-point. Um, God is never going to do your part. Now, that's very important because many times we're praying and asking God to do our part. For instance, we're asking God to heal our marriage, but God in Ephesians 5 said, you love her as Christ loves the church, and you honor him as the church honors Christ. And you're not honoring, and he's not loving, and you're asking God to heal your marriage, you can forget it. Because God's not going to do your part. Your part is to love, and your part is to honor. That's, that's your part. And I'm telling you, a whole bunch of people are mad at God because they know, God, I know you have the power. I know you could do this if you really wanted to. And God's thinking, well, I'd love to do it if you just do your part. If you just partner me. God's never going to do your part. Um, heard about this woman working in the nursery and unmarried, no children, but, but um, volunteers in the nursery. And she just loves the Lord. She, and she's got this bubbly personality and this, this awesome sense of humor. And she was working in the nursery and she was actually changing a diaper. And she was just kind of joking around with the Lord, you know. And she just said, Lord, are you going to help me when I get married? Are you going to help me when I have children of my own? And then she just kind of jokingly said, uh, are you going to change diapers for me? And, and she just felt like she heard the Lord say, I am the Lord. I change not. <laughs> <laughs> There's some things uh, 
God's just not going to do. He's, he's just not going to do them. All right, so God's never going to do your part. Here's the second thing. Your part is never supernatural. It's never supernatural. In, in other words, God's part is supernatural, but your part's not supernatural. This is actually good news. You, you have a part and God has a part. You know, we were talking about uh, birds a moment ago, and uh, it just reminded me about like in school, I remember in school, you know, we have a part. We pray for tests, but our part is to study. Well, I heard about this student that, um, and the, the subject on birds reminded me about this. I heard about this student that went four years, and he came to the end of his four years, and he found that he still needed one class to graduate. And so he went to the dean, and he said, you know, I've worked hard. I've been a diligent student. Uh, I've already got a, a church lined up where I'm going to go pastor. They've already called me, and, and I'll still be here in the area. I can take another class, but I really want to focus my attention on this church. He said to the dean, would you just be honest with me and tell me what is the easiest course in the entire curriculum? And, and the, the dean said, well, you know, you, you have worked hard, and you, you've been a very diligent student, so because of that, I'll tell you. He said it's a class on birds. And he said, it's taught by an old, old professor. He's so old, he looks like you'll have to get better to die. That's how old he is. <laughs> and so the student signs up for this one class, and over the summer, sure enough, the old professor died. And in came a new professor immediately out of graduate school. And he was determined to make that course on birds the hardest and the most difficult course in the entire college curriculum. And so the first day of class, the students walked in, and the professor, a new professor, went back, and he pulled down this chart, and he only pulled it about halfway down, and all it showed were two bird legs. And he said, I want you to tell me the name of this bird its order, its class, its phylum, and its kingdom, all by just looking at its legs, and we'll have three examinations throughout the semester. This is the first one. This will count one-third of your grade. And the young student that only needed one class thought for a minute, and then he gathered his books up, and he got up, and he started to walk out of class, and the professor said, where are you going? He said, I, I, I'm, I'm dropping the class. He said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of, to tell you the name of a bird just by looking at its legs. And the professor said, well, what's your name? So I marked it off the roll. He put his books down, pulled his pants up, and said, you tell me. <laughs> Actually, that doesn't have anything to do with the message. I just, I just thought it's funny. The student had a part, you know, to study as well. But here's, here's the point. Your part's never supernatural. I want you to think about this. David slung the stone. God did the supernatural part and made it hit exactly where it would knock a nine-foot giant out. And by the way, when you read that, the giant actually, stone him here, the giant actually fell forward just like when the Philistines conquered the, the Ark of the Covenant and they took it to the, to the God of Dagon, Dagon fell forward. It kind of reminds you that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Moses 
held the rod up, that's natural. That's something any human could have done. God parted the Red Sea. He held the rod up. Let me put that in Texan terms. He picked up a stick. And I know we see these movies of, you know, Moses doing like this. Here's the way I see it in my mind. I could have done that. You could have done that. So your part's never supernatural. Here's the the third thing I want to tell you. Your part is first. Your part's first. Now, I realize that we love God because he first loved us. I understand that. But what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus is never going to come and die again on the cross. God has already done his part. That's how our, our part is first. God's already done his part. Here, here are some scriptures that help us understand our part is first. It says, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. It doesn't say they shall recover and you shall lay hands on them. They shall recover is God's part. But that doesn't happen until we do our part. Here's another verse where Jesus said himself, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed. So we have to do our part first. Okay, let me go back to uh, Adam just for a moment. Uh, Romans 5 tells us that sin entered the world through Adam, and then death to all men. In other words, Adam sinned, now listen to me, this is what Romans says, and all were condemned. All. You and I were condemned. Every human since Adam. Born condemned. Okay, I want, when you think about that, doesn't that seem a little unfair? Doesn't it seem a little unfair that one man sinned and the whole world was condemned? Now, see, you, you don't want to answer that, you know, because you're in church right now. But you'll probably go out, you'll get in the car, and you'll say, you know, it really does seem unfair. When you think about it, it's, it's unfair. Okay, it wasn't unfair. Let me tell you what it was. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Only God could have thought of it. Let me tell you why. Since, since it only took one man to lose it all, it only took one man to get it all back. (laughs) That's brilliant. And that's the story of Easter. See, a man lost it. So a man had to get it back. So God became a man. Uh, Let me say it another way. You remember what Goliath said? Choose a man that he may come down and fight with me. If I win, I get them all. If he wins, he gets them all. Okay, again, is it possible there was a conversation in heaven like this? And Satan said to God, choose a man that he may come down and fight with me. He wins, he gets them. If I win, I get them. And I'm wondering if God said something like this. Okay. I choose Jesus. And Satan probably would have said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Uh, He's not a man. And God said, well, we'll just make him one. (laughs) And the Son of God became a man. 
and defeated Satan and sin and death and hell. And he did it. And he did it for all. Hebrews says once, he died once for all. So you might be thinking, so Pastor Robert, are you saying that, you know, everyone is going to go to heaven? No, 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 no. That's the whole point of the message. What I'm telling you is that God's already done his part. (laughs) But whether or not you go to heaven is dependent upon whether you do your part. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to do more good things than bad. No, no, that's not your part. The Pharisees asked Jesus. Now, they didn't say it quite this way, but here's what they were saying. What's our part? And Jesus said, you know what your part is? Your part is that you believe in the one whom he sent. That's your part. I, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every service, we've had many, many people at every campus give their lives to Christ. In other words, do your part. Like the testimony we saw a moment ago of John said, you know, I grew up in church, but it never made Jesus the center of my life. And I prayed a very short prayer, but I meant it. I, I want to help you. If, if you'd like to make Jesus the center of your life today. In other words, if you'd like to do your part, and accept what God's already done on the cross for you. I want to help you. So if you're not sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, or if you know you're not where you need to be in your relationship with God, I want to just lead you in a prayer. I'm just simply asking you to pray this prayer in your heart after me and to mean it. So if that's you, no matter which campus you're attending or if you're in an overflow room, would you simply just, just, just breathe this prayer in your heart to God right now? Just say, dear God, just tell him that, dear God, I ask you to forgive me. Tell him that. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. And I receive Jesus today as my Lord and as my Savior. I believe in you. I believe in you. Now, no one's looking around. I'm doing that simply so you can have a moment alone with God. I'm the only one looking around. But if you prayed that prayer right now and you really meant business with God at every campus, would you just put your hand up where I can see it? Put it it way up high. You ought to be proud to put it up. (laughs) You shouldn't be ashamed of this. You ought to be proud to put it up. I prayed that prayer, Pastor, and I really meant it. Every campus. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Many, many hands. Many hands. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Please hear me. It's very, very important. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, and that's what you just did, and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. God God wants you to put your faith into action. And it's very important. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. So here's what we're going to do at every campus. We do this every weekend. But in just a moment, we're going to have one more worship song. I ask that, I know we're crowded every campus, but please don't leave unless you have an emergency. But if you prayed that prayer and gave your life to the Lord, in just a moment, when we stand during this worship song, there are going to be leaders that will come to the front of every campus and every overflow room, and there'll be people coming for prayer. If you, have, if you need prayer in any area of your life, you can come 
to one of the people at the front. But if you prayed that prayer and gave your life to the Lord, I'm asking you to come and to just say to one person, just one person, not in front of the whole group, just one person, I gave my life to the Lord today. I prayed that prayer with the pastor. If you're with someone, you ought to say to that person, will you go with me? I need to go all the way with God and I need to do it today. So I want you to make up your mind right now. You won't be the only one coming, I promise. There are a lot of hands that went up. But if you prayed that prayer and gave your life to the Lord, as soon as we stand up, you just stand up, step out to the aisle, come to the front of whichever, whatever room you're in, and just say to one of the leaders, I gave my life to Jesus. You ought to be proud to do that as well. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person that has any prayer need or that prayed that prayer at every campus right now in Jesus' name. Amen.